0: This episode is sponsored by me, Carolyn Choate. Schedule a funnel mapping strategy session so we can go through your business, your goals, and your plans together, and you'll get a custom diagram of your perfect ideal funnel. And you'll have the option to have me build it all for you in just one week with a Funnel by Friday. So click the link in the description to schedule your session Hello, everyone. I am here on this special day, my birthday, with my Aunt Kate, who has labeled herself perfectly Aunt Kate. And uh, Aunt Kate is my mother's younger sister, and she was a huge inspiration for me growing up. Um, I think that I am a writer today because of her. I used to go and spend, time, weekends, weeks at her house and play with her old typewriter and (laughs) (laughs) go to her writer's group. So, uh, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Hello, everybody. So back then, you were not yet published and you were just Mm. continuing to write and you you held on to that dream, you just kept going, Mm -hmm. even though it was a long road. Mm -hmm. That must have been really hard.
1: Uh, Yeah, I know. It's just, it's something I really wanted to do. Um, If I just didn't feel so much like I wanted to get these stories out, the discipline of all that was something that I wanted, and um i was just hoping eventually i would get published but i never knew if i would yeah and it actually and so didn't I- happen until i until i um till 2016 when i retired from my full-time job oh mm-hmm.
0: was that a coincidence or was that like okay now i have the time and energy to focus on finding a publisher Well, I think it was a little
1: of both. Um, I'd gone to a lot of writers' conferences and I had a good um, bunch of, nice with a lot of writers. And um, what happened was one of the people who um, worked, I worked at a library at the college I graduated from, Worcester State College, and one of the teachers there Um, who I used to talk to about writing because she liked writing mysteries and she was trying to get published. She'd had like things published, academic things, but she was trying to get her mystery novel published. And she told me that she had, um, that there was a small press that had accepted it and she recommended me to them. And that was just like just before that I retired. And they accepted my... Right, they accepted my novel, and it was thrilling.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, the power of networking! So important. Yes, <laughs> getting to know people and people in your uh-huh. field. And you working with people had, had right for so many years. You had a manuscript ready at that point, right?
1: Yes, Um I had been working on it since like. The, the first novel like I got published. I've been working on since 1999 because part of it takes place March of 1999 to March of 2000. And I wanted to get a first draft done about 2000 before the year 2000 strangely enough. So I had workshopped it over the, you know, a couple of decades and um, changed it a lot. Um, uh but this particular um, place, this particular publisher wants want you know a couple of chapters, because how they do things is, um, if they accept your manuscript, they they will do the editing and they do the they do all the um, the, the the artwork for the cover and all the design work. And I've been very happy with that. And then you buy the copies at half price. They are on Amazon if anybody wants to buy them that way, a couple of other places. Um, but basically the way I kind of break even, the last one I probably made a few hundred dollars on, um, I guess I get better at selling them. Um, <laughs> What happened was I would buy like 50 copies at half price from the publisher. And then I would do talks and Mm -hmm. sell my books at the talks at um, senior centers, at libraries. And um, yeah, so that was really kind of fun. So I've gotten two books published through them and um, I have... I basically buy the books and and then I sell them for whatever you know the and I've been real happy with their design and stuff and with the editing. So awesome. mm-hmm. yeah,
0: mm-hmm. how do you pitch yourself for these events? When you look for a place, is it like, okay. "Hi, I wrote a book," mm-hmm. or "I wrote a yeah. book that is relevant to your people"? Yes, your um, right.
1: Um, all my novels, I'm working on my third one, at least have some place near where I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts. So I do use that in my pitch, you know, it's all, it's local. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the things like in my first novel, a couple of the scenes take place at Worcester State in the 1970s, and then mm-hmm. I made up another college in Worcester that my, um, other character worked at in 1999, it was called the Worcester University. And of course now it's called Worcester University. So that's kind of confusing. But yes, one is that it's logo. And I mm-hmm. pitched that it's, um, the last one I did was a mystery. So I pitched that big. And the mystery that I did, the second one that I got published was based, very loosely based on a true story that happened um, right outside Worcester in the 1890s. So there I had the you know, the historical and the place. Um, so I did a lot of research of Worcester in the 1890s. so that's part of my talk. And also the funny kind of fun is. Um, the second one that I got published, um, I actually began that in the early 90s on a typewriter and et cetera. And then I went back to it after I get the first one published, I thought, mm, well, I had about a hundred pages and I thought, well, maybe maybe it's worth going back and, and looking at and, and turning into something that could be published. And And so then I started working on that. So when I did my talk, I had, my manuscript page is all wrapped up. This is what it looked like when I started it, you know,
0: which was a lot different than, you know, what we do on the computers now. That's really interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. I, to me, it looked like, okay, you spent like 16 years working on one book. And then the next book was like, okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, the yeah. That second book was um, written. Like I said, it, the, it began in the early 90s with about 100 pages, kind of seeded there. And then I, you know, expanded it and rewrote
0: it into a mystery. And now you're working on a third book. I'm working that's on a third book. book. I've I've been working on it for about three years.
1: Um, and I feel like I'm almost done it. Um, It again, parts of it take place in Worcester. In, in it takes place mostly in 1939. A part Sorry, in Worcester the, 1939 1939 okay And the part okay. in Worcester is called um, it's called Grace above the lake right And the lake is Lake Quinsig in Worcester which is on the Worcester Shrewsbury line. And I was a kid. I used to go to a um, uh, an amusement park there called White City. White City, and it had been going on from like 1910 to 1960. It closed down, but when we were kids, we went there. So part of it takes place at White City in
0: 1939. You must do a lot of research for these historical books, and your career is very involved with that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I just really like doing the historical research. Um and uh the thing about the one I'm working on now is um I it is it starts out a, part of the story starts out in 1939 in on the Worcester line at White City. And it's a trial that travels um, from Worcester to, to um, where they wintered um, Florida. So um there's something that that there was a tradition that they did in the carnivals and I don't know if it was the first night or something like that they would gather and tell stories. so I have stories within stories and the stories are about, a lot of them about things that happened. Um, there was a huge hurricane that went up the East Coast in 1938. So in 1939, when the people, when the carnivals were traveling down there, the coastline it even, um, it went up the Connecticut River into western mass and destroyed the bandstand at the big e that's how ferocious it was and it changed the whole line all the way up through maine one of the stories is about because a lot of people like it was traumatic for them and it had only been a year before so so we have all these stories within stories which i really like to do <laughs>
0: I feel like you have connected me with my past in a way that nobody else does. Because our family are not, in general, big storytellers. They're kind of like, yeah, yeah, that thing happened in the past. Let's not talk about it. And because yeah. your parents were older, yeah. <laughs> and my parents were older when they had me, yes. I felt like I was disconnected in a lot of ways yeah. from, that, from those stories of, of heritage. But... You traveled back to Uh Ireland a few times and you write poetry about our family history as well. And Uh it's really neat to have that Uh thread.
1: Uh Oh, good. Uh
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's really nice to have somebody in the family who is the the keeper of the stories. Did you always feel like that was your role? Like, when did you start feeling inspired Uh to do that?
1: Yeah. um, Maybe the first time I went to Ireland, I lived there for a year in 1975, 76. And I think the year I lived there, I came back with a lot, whether it was about Ireland or not, I came back with a lot of stories in my head. And um, Mm. uh, your grammar and grandpa, my mom and dad were big storytellers, both of them. Um, Really? Yeah. Um, I can tell you that um, your grandpa, um, he, they, of course there was no television and stuff when they were growing up. Mm
0: -hmm. So one
1: of the things they did for entertainment um, down New Bedford in the Cape when grandpa was little is they would all be sitting in the kitchen the different generations, he was a kid and they had to like perform something everybody had to do something like they had to sing a song or tell a story or whatever they had times like that and so i heard him talking about those times i mean mm-hmm. one of his one of his grandfathers uh what he his his skill was something like he could like uh he could balance two chairs on his shoulder. So I was like, whatever you could do is what you did. Um, and of course, grandpa being a little kid, a little boy was very impressed by this skill more than any of the poetry or singing or anything. So It's, it's like what people did before there was television and video and stuff. And of course, grandma, of course, coming from rural Ireland in the first part of the 20th century, again, they told stories for entertainment. So I picked up on a lot of that because I guess I just liked it. (laughs) I liked songs and I liked stories. And when I was even preschool. And so I kind of glommed onto all that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Grandparents... I I wish I had held on to some of their stories. I wish I had heard some of their stories. As I said Mm -hmm. earlier, you know, my grandma and grandpa passed away when I was like 11 or 12. That's
1: right. Yeah. So
0: I really missed out on being old Mm -hmm. enough to understand their stories. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And grandma, I know she loved to read because you told me about how she taught herself to read. Yes. At three Uh years
1: old. Yeah, she was very young in rural Ireland. There weren't a lot of books around, so she used to read whatever was available, like the newspaper from her neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> the English newspaper.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. that is cool. So mm-hmm. those, those threads are in there somewhere that yes, I. Yes, they, they are. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: they continue to be, and I think that most stories really do come from, you know, whatever your family is, whatever nationality your family is, that's where most stories come from. Mm-hmm. You know, they um, they come from what you heard when you were growing up, really. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think as writers, we... And and in, as humans, um, yeah. so much of our beliefs and our thoughts and our stories that come from when we're really young and impressionable. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we listen. You know, there are, there are some people
1: who listen more than others. It's kids who listen more than others. You know? It's yeah. whatever you're fascinated with. And I was always very audio-like. I didn't notice my surroundings so much, but I could always hear my... Hear what was going on. And I think that a lot of people who write are like that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. When did you first start going to the Mount Monadnock? I can't say that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it? The Monadnock oh. Writers Group. Um, I We moved up here to Winchenden, Mass., which is on the border of New Hampshire. Uh, Monadnock. Mountain is just in Southern New Hampshire near us. So I started going there when we moved up here in 1988. Wow. Yeah. So I got a lot of fellowship there and I still do have fellowship with writers I met there. Um, I go every year. I didn't the last couple of years because of the pandemic. I went last year and this year I'm going to Ireland again. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, um, Going this year, but every year there's a group that meets at a place in southern New Hampshire for a weekend. Um, you know, poets and novelists and people who are doing memoir, mostly poets, but they're people I've known for a lot of years now. And it's it's small and it's it's very enriching because I've known the people for a long time and it's not very competitive and it's a lot of fun, so I I will miss going there this year. But I'm going to Ireland, so yeah, it's quite worth it. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I'll go again next year. <laughs> That's awesome. I hope you come yeah. back with lots of stories again. <laughs> I hope so. Mm-hmm. So the publisher that you're with doesn't have requirements for you, right? It's not like and you need to have a book every this many years.
1: No, the publisher wants the entire manuscript and um, they look at it and they determine if they're gonna publish it. And um, yeah, you don't have to have a book every summer. It's when your manuscript is ready, you send it to them and they accept it or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty straightforward and easy that way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As far as, yeah,
1: (laughs) I mean, i tried probably A couple of decades ago, I tried to get published with, um, uh, you know, other more well-known publishers. And um, I went to some writing workshops and everything, but I never never got a connection. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, you know, and that's changed so much now. It's like unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to break into those big six. It was then. Yes. You know, um, but there's so many smaller publishers. Right. Now, so mm-hmm. There are a lot of different choices. Your goals and what you want to what you want your book to to do. Right.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: What advice would you give for people who are just still like, I'm writing and I'm writing and I don't know if I'll ever be able to share it with the world?
1: Yeah. Um, If you have a story that you feel is important, you, it, you need to put it out in words. And, you know, if you end up sharing it with the world, I mean, like I said, it took... A few decades for me to share a couple of my stories with the world. in um, uh, you know you can go to small presses that you know you, like I said, like the one that there's other small presses than the one I, I went through that I go through that they will do the they'll pay the editing, they'll do the design. I've been very happy with the designs of the books. If you want, I'll show you the covers. Um, I've been real happy with the design covers. And then, like I said, you don't make a lot of money. You, like, make, I think the first one I just kind of broke even with. And the second one, I still had a bunch left that I hadn't sold from the, when the second one came out. And I sold them when I was talking about my second one. So that was kind of cool. That, so I ended up often, probably I think the case making about $400 or so. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but, you know, your stuff is out there. People read it. Um, Your friends and your relatives read it and other people who you meet at the libraries. And, you know, that's satisfying for me. Um, So do you want me to show you the the covers for my book? This was the one that got. This is called ah, A Bakery Window. Okay, let me get this right. And this is the cover for the, the book that came out a couple of years ago. And this is the book that came out in 2016. It's called Sleepwalking Backwards. And actually, this is, as you know, my husband is a, is an astronomy buff, and um, there's a couple of people in his group that do astrophotography. And these are actual photographs from the astrophotographers. they have this um, another good thing about not going with a big publisher, as I sent in pictures, I said, I'd like you to use these if you can on the cover. And they did. You know, they're very open to that. Lovely. So you have more say in the design, too. As a matter (laughs) of fact, they like you to have say in the design. Um, (laughs) One of the things, if you do want to get published, um, to try to get one of the things that will happen, like even with a small press, like Touchpoint, after you sign the contract, They'll send you um, several pages where they want to know about the main character. You know, you have to think about um, putting the main character, what's the story about, like a, a short, small and short blurbs about the story and about the characters because when they're thinking about how they want to design the covers and stuff, they want to know what the story's about, what the character's about, um, and that helps them. So once you sign a contract with them, they're, you're going to have to start pulling your book story apart and, and and doing blurbs about it for them and so that they can do better. And so, because they can do a little bit of, you know, they will send like press kits out to some places, Like, if you give them a list of people who in in institutions that might be interested, they'll send press kits out there. And I even went to a small bookstore to, um, uh, my last one, I went to a small bookstore to read from it, and I didn't realize they had, they must have seen that I once before did a workshop there or whatever, and they had already sent a copy of it with a press kit. So Whoa. that was good to know that they can, they can do a little, but not a lot. So um, being my age, it's a little hard. I don't have a lot of platforms. The more <laughs> platforms you have online, the more you're you going have to- have a million followers on TikTok? No, I have no I'm not on TikTok. I'm, <laughs> I do have a website and um, you know, I'm on Facebook, but you know, you sell a lot more books if you have platforms, and I don't really have a lot, but a
0: lot of people it's do. Still, and about it's having great. those communities of people that will be interested in the subject of your book. That's very true. Yes. Uh huh. Very so true. Whether that's in person or online, you still right. need to be in those kind of communities.
1: Right. Exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That is so cool. Mm-hmm. All right, one last question. All right, when you go and do an event, you're you do like a reading from your books, yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you choose which section to read?
1: Um, let's see. Um, I usually do some historical stuff, and um, I want to pull out something that's kind of dramatic um, that doesn't need. The whole story to get somebody's interest, but it's mm-hmm. going to get somebody's interest. Um, maybe something that might have some amusement and some mystery in it. Um, definitely something that will have some mystery in it. Like, where is this going? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it depends on where I am. It, like, I, I did some readings at Worcester State, and of course, I use the the places at Worcester State. So it depends on location. Um, And if there is not a location involved, I want to pull something out that will spark people's interest and be a more exciting um, and probably more a little bit of the characters um, doing something and maybe a little bit of contemplation, but mostly action, because Mm. I want in a short, short period, I've got to get people interested
0: in the characters. And they tell you at the event, like you have 10 minutes to speak, or... Yeah.
1: um, I've had some like that, like panels, but I did a lot of events where I could speak for like 30 minutes. So that was really good, because, you know, I I would do a reading from the book, but at first I would talk, especially the last one, about um, the historical backdrop of it very and about cool. writing in general. People ask a lot of questions about
0: writing in general when I'm at that. Oh, so. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to uh-huh. events with authors, you're probably somebody who's very curious about yeah, the writing. About yeah, them. exactly, exactly. Mm hmm. Awesome. So if anyone's really interested in these books, uh, Mm -hmm. you can look up Catherine Zabrowski on Amazon. Yes. And the name of one of them, the first one is called
1: Sleepwalking Backwards. And the second one is Through a Bakery Window. (laughs)
0: Lovely. Awesome. I am so glad that you were able to come join me today. Thank you. All right. I'm going to wrap things up there. You hold tight for a moment while I end the podcast.